Hi everybody and welcome to No Country. My name is J. David Osborne and that is Chris Sacknessum. Chris, how are you doing this evening? David, I'm, you know, I'm always better when I speak with you, but I have two thoughts to kick us off. Uh, the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. I hope, I really earnestly hope in my heart that people recognize what that phrase means because it's a lovely phrase and I think we can imagine it. I mean, if you can't see a quick brown fox jumping over a lazy dog, you might need to reevaluate your imaginative facilities. But that's a wonderful pangram of all the letters in the English alphabet, which originate through Latin script. And I continue, I continue to remind myself and rediscover the power of those 26 characters and how determinant they are of our thinking and our conceptual frames of possibility. You know, we only have words to deal with. Well, you know what? I'll tell you what. We only have letters to deal with. That is a really strange thing. We are all still back carving things into the cave walls. So the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. Kind of a genius, cultural genius. And here's another thought. That was a cultural bit of genius, um, which I really appreciate and I, I have over my desk. This is one of my little pieces. Objects are better thought of as events of uncertain duration. You know, there isn't any culture behind that. There's no people in the caves. That was just me. You know, I just, I just throw that out to start with. But I'm excited about things and I'm excited about our partnership and, and what we're trying to build as a community. And, um, you know, there's some real, uh, well, I think people have been listening know there's some dark things going on in my life. Um, in terms of criminality in my neighborhood and, uh, you know, some stuff that I, I really kind of resent, you know. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I, I, I would rather be reading great literature than loading my handgun, if, I, yeah. if people know what I mean. But um, there you are. But, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm, <laughs> I'm, um, yeah, that was I'm a nice hard. little I'm note. I'm working, man. Uh, yeah, I'm just I'm getting a lot of stuff done. Uh, my friend Kelby and I put a book out called Dead Boy. It's about a tweaker piece of shit who brings his Rottweiler back from the dead with monster energy drink so that he can make money dog fighting because the dog can't be killed and so that he can become famous on TikTok. So it is a short mean nasty masculine little piece of fiction uh, the likes of which are not published very often these days anymore so trying to be the change i want to see in the artistic world so i'm excited i about like that. that i like that idea trying to be the change you want to see i recommend that idea to to all of us i think mm -hmm. that you know don't look to institutions, uh, the big five, the big four, now the big three publishers. Don't look to Hollywood. Don't look to Washington. Don't look to 
uh, you know, anywhere in, in history or time, be the change you want to see. I, I really like that attitude. I think that is the attitude we want to inspire in everyone. And I appreciate that inspiration in my life because, you know, it takes some shit that you have to do yourself um, to get on with anything, whether it be moving house or writing a new book or whatever. It, it, it's the change that you want to see, that you want to own, you know? Yeah. So well done. Absolutely. I, and so, I'm pleased that you're getting some good attention, I think, from yeah, the book. Getting some good attention, did a live reading two nights ago on Friday. Uh, a friend of mine, you know, uh, set off white phosphorus in a bowl that melted onto the floor of the art gallery. Um, and, you know, he had a smoke machine going with people having sparklers. I'm surprised we didn't set off any fire alarms in there. But, you know, we're back out and we're, we're talking to people. And the folks who I talked about were largely relaxed. Um, a few, you know, there's a lingering tension among people my age, which is a subject that I will write about at one point or another. Um, but I'm not, I'm not sure that the, uh, that the COVID crisis affected your generation or the the maybe the older generation than you or the zoomers so much as it squarely affected millennials Uh, there's not a group of people who has been more afraid of COVID-19 than my generation which is very bizarre because we're largely safe from it largely right um but th- all that to say is, like I said, I saw a few people who were a bit standoffish and weird, but for the most part, people were joking around and having a good time and coughing on each other. It was great. <laughs> well, okay, there you go. Mm-hmm. Well, so, <clears throat> so um, well, first of all, before we move on, I, I, the, um the thing that you wrote that this the second point that you brought up at the beginning of the show is interesting to me i just wanted to tack on to it is um the idea of an object being something that's in motion even when it's sitting still um is interesting to me because if we were creatures that lived in the fourth dimension and could see time the way that we can't as three-dimensional uh people that that bit of poetry that you wrote there would be completely obvious totally that's um, exactly the point mm -hmm. that is a very well that that's absolutely well delivered and i think this is exactly the point that we want to move to i mean the idea of the obvious obvious is a very interesting word that people should review one of our themes is always check out words even if you think you know what they are be a little bit humble before world language you know be a little bit humble um but yes it's exactly right what is obvious to someone uh may not be at all obvious to someone else i mean i've talked about my experience with solomon islanders and how i'm trying to bring that sort of perspective into a western frame there ain't nothing obvious and there's certainly nothing obvious to people who eat a lot of pizza and have you know too many numbers in their cell phone so think about what is obvious but yes you're absolutely right i mean it should be completely obvious Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to us 
that nothing is static. I mean, how much more can the quantum physicists tell us? They've tried their best, you know? <laughs> you know, Jesus Christ, give them a little bit of credit. They really have tried to break it down to us. There's, there, no, that desk is not that, it's, it's not as solid as you'd like to think it is. No. You know? No, it isn't. It, it's a dimensional issue. It's a layered issue. It's a level issue. And it's a Gilbert Riles, the wonderful British philosopher, category issue. Mm. And we all need to be a little bit more mobile. You know, we've got mobile phones and we're also mobile. But we're not mobile at all in terms mm -hmm. of intellect no. and spirit, you know? Yeah, because we've outsourced it. I think that's one of the key yeah. issues that we talk about is how much outsourcing we do to these things that should be, you know, done at home artisanally. Um, so getting into the show today on No Country, we have been breaking this show up into the weekend doom, then our main uh, portion where we talk about whatever fascinating subjects Chris is thinking about that particular week, and then we wrap it up. And we're still going to do the weekend doom. And we're still going to wrap it up. But I was talking to Chris before the show, and this Eclipse Week was what the kids are calling a banger week as far as doom goes, especially on a pet subject of ours, which is media literacy and uh, media corruption and signal and noise. Um, there have been some major events that have been going on. We're recording this Sunday, November the 21st of 2021 by the way. And I think that Chris and I have decided that we're actually going to extend the week in doom this week because of what a week it has been. Is that still cool <laughs> with you? That's, that still sounds like a plan? It does sound like a plan, but you know, here's the thing. I, I have um, really just so engaged with David's intellect and I always think of him as the ultimate uh, defense attorney that I would want to have in, in the galaxy sort of sense, in a lost in space sense, if I got zapped up for some sort of crime in the universe. And uh, we have forgotten one key element of our current segments. Mm -hmm. Every time David is given five words to choose two to integrate, and he's been given those five, but only just before we started recording. So he has no prep, no prep. The important thing is we're, we're trying to push an intellect into a corner. But every time we also give David an imaginative challenge, and I really enjoy this one. I enjoy all of them, uh, and I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm both drawing on you know thirty forty years of ideas, but also crafting some things in the moment, on the fly, to appeal to his particular uh, intellectual configuration. So here it is, Mr. Osborne. This is both character revealing as always. And I think you you appreciate that idea that we you know we're always naked before ourselves and other people whenever we you know imaginatively you know imaginatively put forward any idea. But I think this this could be creatively provocative 
for your portfolio of possible projects. Hit me. I was recently up at Area 51. I happen to live close to that, as people who listen to our show may know. And I am very fascinated by the mythology of Area 51. I am. It would be, in fact, if I was elected president, it would be the first place I would fucking visit. And I demand to see all the subterranean tu- you know, tunnels, all the tentacles, all the experiments. I'd want to know the whole thing. So my question to you, and this is your imaginative challenge, and it doesn't have to be on this level at all. It can be, take any form you like. I just threw that out as one of my examples. But what great human secret, human secret, would you like to know or know the answer to? By the (laughs) end of this episode tonight, you need to give us a clear subject, a clear, definitively boundaried subject, and perhaps a bit of speculation. You have the intellect and the profound imagination to take us behind some kind of curtain of your choosing. So that's your imaginative challenge. We await that at the end of the episode and we march on. Excellent. I love it. I love it. it this one is great for me because it's going to be a paring down exercise rather than uh, having to come up with something because I have so many questions. So many questions. <laughs> That that's what um, curious people do, you know. That's what they have. That's what they are. You know, it's cool if it's a real question, right? Like a real thing that's going on. I don't have to invent something out of thin air. Oh no 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 no! Whatever really is on your, you know, okay. if you had, yeah. if you could dial up, I mean, what what we're what, what we've only eliminated here is like the, the the super metaphysical level of like is there a god or sure you know, yeah, the, yeah. Okay. we're on the level of like a secret that could be known yeah. that you really have it hot in your pants to know about yeah okay got it got it all right well on to the extended week in doom a celebration of doom as you've put it um it's been a very interesting week i think chris and i text back and forth on occasion but this week in particular found us um texting a lot (laughs) because (laughs) so much stuff was going on we were just you know having these conversations both about what was going on with uh, with chris and his uh situation with the tweakers downstairs and uh just what was kind of happening in the news. So I figured I would start it off on a humorous note, which is, uh, this is an article from The Guardian. Um, uh, Let's see here. The headline is as such. Loving husband who claimed Parkinson's drug turned him into a gay sex addict wins 160,000 pounds compensation in a French court, so good for him. Good for him. He, uh, the the drug turned. I actually posted that on Instagram and got a message from a friend of mine, who informed me that 
uh, in her opinion, it's not that it's <laughs> it's not that far fetched because apparently Parkinson's drugs uh, help your dopamine uptake basically because Parkinson's is uh, a situation where your your body doesn't create enough dopamine. So some of those drugs might up your dopamine to the point that you get addicted to gambling and sex and all this kind of stuff. But on first glance, that is a pretty humorous headline, which I'm sure they, they knew going into it, because it seems like a great excuse, right? I'm sorry, honey. Sorry I was out having all that gay sex. It's the, <laughs> it's the Parkinson's <laughs> drug. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think that's a little bit of... Uh, an abbreviation symbol of, of, of the whole problem that we've been dealing with kind of since, well, let's say the 1970s. So that's 50, the last half century. I think that what really is the key to a lot of the nonsense, the nonsense, the, just the complete absurdity of, of so-called modern life, and where modernity really went absurd has to do with, with uh, liability and, and legal challenges. You know, ridiculous stories and urban legends that get repeated and repeated and then up the ante for people to raise lawsuits that then make the corporate and institutional and governmental worlds, the people with money, essentially, because you don't want to sue anyone without money. I mean, what's the point of that, right? Mm. Even a good, even a really nasty Las Vegas lawyer won't do that. They'll always go, where's the money? And, mm -hmm. but if there is money there, they'll go, well, we'll, we'll only charge you if we win, you know? Right. Um, and I think that a lot of the nonsense that is, that is being put forth in terms of wokeness, political correctness, and at the very most idealistic level of human decency is, is really just about people working out for the money. You know, mm -hmm. it's always mm -hmm. just about the money. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can't really, I mean, all of the political rhetoric and leverage in the world only is about maybe power and some status and someone gets an academic position or someone gets a little, you know, a little foot over someone else's shoulder in some way. But really, I mean, if nothing else, America at least is always about the money. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where all of this wokeness comes from. All of this stuff that's happening is really about just suing for liability whenever you can. And so naturally, that reinforces the victimology point of view, because how can you sue anyone if you're not the victim, you know, of something, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. and, and so you, of course, want to diminish self-responsibility. So I think this is where a lot of this comes from. It's really driven by lawyers, and it's really driven by major lawsuits. And I think we have a clear program of that, that a lot of people need to, 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 to touch base with, because it's kind of a separate fossil history, you know? Mm -hmm. Think of this. 
a separate fossil history. It's very much a part of the media, but if you really look back through it, it's very, very curious. And it really gets cranking in the 1970s. Absolutely. So moving forward, I like this call and response idea thing that we have going on here. So my, <laughs> my next uh, week in doom has to do with COVID-19. Now I'm going to put a disclaimer up before we go on here. We're going to talk about a few things in this episode that are really hot button issues. And we have a great listenership. Uh, I've spoken with many of you, or I suppose written back and forth via email. I think you're all great people. I also know that the things that we're going to bring up might be a little bit touchy. So all I ask is that you just come to it in the spirit that it's given because Chris and I have our hearts in the right place and we are not, uh, we're not Nazis. Uh, we're not, uh, I don't even think we're bad people. Are you a bad person, Chris? Uh, no, no. Generally speaking, no. No, I don't think I am either. So, okay. With that disclaimer in place, my issue <clears throat> with COVID since the very beginning of it has been one of a sneaking suspicion. Um, if you picture me standing in a group and you know we're all kind of watching this drama unfold over the past 18 months or so, I've basically been the guy who's been asking my friends, does any of this feel weird to you? right? Does something feel off? And I get bogged down with people. Uh, when I used to argue, I would get bogged down on the kind of minutiae minutia of the arguments and, you know, 700,000 people are dead and, you know, you're terrible for suggesting any of this. But I don't want to debate that. I just want to put this thought into people's heads. Is there anything weird about this whole thing going on. And this article uh, really makes you wonder. So the FDA has asked a federal judge to give it until 2076 to fully produce uh, the document that Pfizer provided to it in order to license its COVID-19 vaccine. So this document is wait for it 329,000 pages long and they are requesting to release the document 500 pages at a time each month right which will take 55 years to do or 20,000 days basically okay so we know this is all true this is something that's 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 really happening i i, I want you to think does that sound weird to you? And I'll put that question to you, Chris. Does that does that sound weird, or is this just a thing that happens? Well, it's certainly not just a thing that happens. That's what I thought. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> no. Um, well, look, it, it, it's obviously big government, big corporate, big pharma. Uh, big corruption. I mean, I think it, it comes against a backdrop of, um, you know, John Lecrae, uh, the, the spy novelist, uh, kind of reinvented his whole program with the constant gardener thing, which I, I had a little bit of a look at. 
the other day, and I, I think it's very interesting. He's a very, um, uh, he's a genre writer, but I think he's got sort of some, some good ideas. But, um, you know, I can tell you for a fact that right now, in the bush of New Guinea, the Solomon Islands, Borneo, there are some very strange people who are apparently uh, mercenaries. They're not part of some Islamic terrorist movement. They're not part of some uh, local independent movement. No, they're just security guards for people looking for major pharmaceutical breakthroughs before these regions are destroyed. Mm -hmm. The pharmaceutical companies of the world are out searching for great solutions to uh, human problems in a, in a very commercial sense in the Amazon, the Congo, Borneo, and all across Melanesia. And they're, they, their security people are, are major uh, mercenaries from the world over and they're very dangerous people and they are the ones out harvesting you know mushrooms that glow in the dark for 300 yards that you can read by mm -hmm. imagine that imagine that a mushroom an inch high that you can read by mm. at, at 30 feet come on yeah you know yeah and so there is a worldwide thing of pharmaceutical harvest and possibility and the COVID whole fact has to be put in that context. This is a manufactured, uh, I'm not saying it's a manufactured disease, virus necessarily. I don't know about that, but I wonder. Uh, but I think it has certainly been an enormously manufactured and orchestrated and choreographed world response. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I, what I find really interesting about this, though, because, you know, we move from the microorganism uh, virology sort of level of this, which none of us are really experts in at all. And we're really trying to, to process the best, uh, real genuine scientific information that we can get. And, and Dr. Fauci, in my view, is, is far from that point of view. Uh, I think he's a complete stooge. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's just my personal view. And I hope I don't offend anyone. I'm sure I've offended my mother by that point of view. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I just, I, I really don't believe that um, the priest cast of our scientists just needs to, I think they should be strong enough to, to, to take criticism. Um, but what, what I am interested in really very much this last week is how, and I, I don't want to take away from what you were saying, David, I just want to sort of kind of ricochet forward. Yeah, no, ricochet away. Uh, yeah. I, I'm very interested in the mandate. Yeah, that's uh, where I was going next. Protests yep. around the world. I mean, I think particularly in the Netherlands, I don't know that, if by the way, have... I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just want to add in really quickly that have been completely blacked out in our media. You wouldn't even know that it was happening. Sorry to interrupt, but that's that that warrants warrants saying. 
Well, at least the BBC is covering it, and this is again part of one of the one of the points that Dave and I have made, and I've certainly made it very strongly, is that you need to, if you're an American-based listener, you must be tuning into a more global frame of media if you can, mm-hmm. you know, just just dabbling around, you know, even if you look at you know what's going on in in Port Moresby, in Papua New Guinea, or or Melbourne. Uh, I mean, it's really important, I think, to check out what's happened with Australia and New Zealand in, in COVID terms, because this is this has actually destroyed the national character of those two nations. I, I, I understand that people may have some support for what the governments have done in those countries, but I absolutely will stand up as a, as a citizen of Australia and as a long-time participant in many aspects of New Zealand life, that COVID-19 has destroyed the national character. And I, 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 I'll, I'll take on anyone in a debate about that. I, I think it's been devastating. So I think we need to look at this in a very, very global sense. That is going back to one of our, David's and mine, real points is that language is important. Pandemic pandemic that means it's all over the place Mm -hmm. so let's not just think about america and joe biden's terrible ratings and uh, ms harris's absolutely well i don't know i don't think there's even a grade for that i think it's below it's it's below water it's below ground it's it's to the magma Mm -hmm. but Let's not worry about that. Let's think about the bigger picture of this so-called pandemic. There is a global concern that biology and sociology, and this is our big theme right now, isn't it? You know, we're talking about, uh, in another register, we're talking about whether gender, how gender relates to sex. You know, it's like, well, okay. Um, We're talking about blending of categories in that Gilbert Ryle's sense of of category blurring. Mm -hmm. And we have a problem here with thinking that, oh, it's just, it's a biological problem that we can turn over to the scientists and the pharmaceutical companies (laughs) who are completely innocent of all crimes. It's, it's, it's those evil medical insurers that, that are the problem yeah. in America. Right. Well, you know what? You know what, David? My mother is looking, you know, and I, I'd be the first person to say, look, she's 93. She'll be 94 in December. She's had great innings, you know? Mm-hmm. No one's saying that she should, uh, you know, get a special chance or anything. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, on the other hand, she has just had introduced into her life a pill, one pill per day, mm-hmm. that costs $534 a month. Jesus Christ. You know, I mean, here's my thought, and I think this is a very objective and fair thought. I just believe that that is a commercial consideration that needs to be put into the mix when we talk about compassion and we choose kindness 
and this whole mix of stuff. I think there's just an enormous amount of money that is that had, has been reaped by COVID. And I just, I don't see how we can walk away from that. I'm not saying that COVID is not a distinguishable virus that has caused death. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that some people have made a shitload of money off it. That's what I'm saying. Yep, and I think that that really cannot be taken out of the equation when you're talking about the response to all of this. And the fact that the wheels are coming off uh, a lot of, you know, empire projects that have been, that the wheels have been coming off since the 1970s, slowly but surely. And we're really reaching a crisis point when it comes to things like oil and inflation and debt. And it's all kind of collapsing. And I think that... Rahm Emanuel said once that he never let a crisis go to waste. And I think that this is what we're seeing right now. Speaking of civil unrest, Martin Armstrong is a Wall Street guy who invented an AI called Socrates that has been so accurate, um, so kind of mystically accurate, that uh, the FBI and uh, the KGB both at different times have sort of sequestered him and tried to get him to give up the algorithm that he uses in it because it's been able to predict weather events, uh, great sweeping moments in history. Um, But he has what's called a civil unrest model, and his civil unrest model peaks in 2032. So our weakened doom is not here to... um, to put you at ease because this is going to continue for at least the next 10 years, according to Martin Armstrong, depending on how much you want to put. Oh, I don't think we're going to get there, man. I don't yeah. think we're going to get there. <laughs> I'm going to come out in front of that and say, no way. Yeah. I, 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 no, 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 no. I, I, I think the, you know, have you ever heard a five alarm fire? Yeah. Well, I think we're going to really deal with a seven alarm thing. Very soon. Very soon, absolutely. So on that note, um, I've seen video after video after video online of people walking out of stores with piles of clothes, Gucci handbags. Um, But you brought to my attention the fact that San Francisco, um, Michael Schellenberger came out with a book recently called San Francisco, which purports to document the decline of that city into what it looks like today. I haven't read it yet, so I can't speak on it, but it seems interesting. But San Francisco's largest Walgreens has closed due to a rat infestation. Yeah. So you institu- know- and people, you know, just to, just really quickly, I think that a lot of people roll their eyes about this and and say, "Oh, so what? Big deal." You know, people are stealing gucci handbags and you know and okay a walgreens closed what's the these are powerful symbolic events a rat infestation in in san francisco's largest walgreens is symbolic in of a deeper problem that's going on absolutely it is you know it absolutely it is and i and i want to speak very forcefully and personally to uh, one of my great male friends, Andy Dugas, who, he, he, like you, he contributed to my textbook 
which is due out in March. He's a wonderful poet. He's a very smart guy. He's, he's a cancer survivor. He's one of my great, you know, life male friends at this stage in my life. Uh, but he's a devoted San Franciscan liberal. You know, he really is. But, you know, if when you speak to him privately, when he comes to Vegas, he, he lets a little bit of guard down. Um, wonderful, wonderful character. His, his wife is Brazilian. They've lived in Brazil. I, I've met his son. He was a really cool guy. You know, they're, they're, they're really great people. They really are great people. And I don't mean to diminish any of their idealism at all. But I think that they are holding on to a dream of San Francisco liberalism that is just dead in the ass, as the Australians would say. You know, it just is gone. It, 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 it's an absolute lost proposition. And I know four other uh, really fine writers that I really admire who have fled areas like the Tenderloin and the Fillmore because it was just too weird. You know, it was just too, just too weird. <laughs> and when Walgreens starts, I mean, they're, you know, really think about it. They have a commercial interest in, in staying in the neighborhood. And if they can't work it out, and I got to tell you, if you want to know where the action is, go to the Walgreens on the corner of Charleston and the Strip and Bates, you know, which is, I mean, they, they, they expect crime, you know, they expect crime. They have some black security guards there who are, like, they've got their guns out before you even walk in the door. You know, they're not fooling around. Mm -hmm. They're not closing down, you know, because of crime or because of junkies or because of anything. But when Walgreens in San Francisco closes up multiple, multiple outlets because of theft, and then they close down their major flagship store, which a lot of people depend on, for their pharmaceutical drugs, let's not forget. Mm -hmm. Can't get everything delivered. You know, maybe that's a little bit, you know, isn't that a little bit private, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't know if I'd want my drugs delivered to my door, you know? It's mm -hmm. like, uh, you know? Right. Um, and then they're closed because of a rat infestation. I mean, how much more, and look at what's happened in Portland, Seattle, Minneapolis, Austin, and, and, and the Chicago situation is just ridiculous every, every weekend. I mean, how much more do we have to look at to wonder if the bipartisan program that has put the liberal Democrat and extreme Democrat position in place in American cities is really serving citizens? I just don't see it. I just don't see it. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of crime, I see a lot of fear, I see uncontrolled mental illness, and I see a massive drug problem that has not been addressed and is just getting worse and then more criminal, more violent, and a, a complete demoralization of police across America. I just don't see anything good. Right. Absolutely. Which, <laughs> speaking of rampant crime and police and what have you, Briefly, briefly, 
we're going to come at this from an interesting angle. I wanted to mention the Kyle Rittenhouse trial that came to an end this week. He was found not guilty of all of his charges. And... <clears throat> well, by some. <laughs> yeah. Not by MSNBC or CNN. <laughs> Correct. That's the angle that I want to come at this from. So, I have... Um, like you, Chris, I, most of my friends are dyed-in-the-wool liberals or leftists. They like to make a distinction about that. And as I, you know, exist in this world longer and longer, I'm not sure that I see the distinction that they're talking about. Um, they sort of began to parrot phrases about this case that I had seen in clips from CNN and MSNBC. And what concerns me about this, and this, this is not a referendum on the larger projects behind any of these things, although one day maybe Chris and I will get into the issues with some of these larger organizations, both the police and Black Lives Matter, both, by the way. Um, but the issue, I think, is that what I saw with the Rittenhouse trial was a w almost willful dis not even disavowing but just an ignoring of some key points of the trial right because there are some things that are worth knowing about it that if you know them they're going to change your opinion about the thing just a little bit so when he was found not guilty of course i saw a bunch of people throw their hands up and say well of course because the justice system you know favors uh people who kill protesters but I'm not sure that it's that easy to convince a jury, uh, which, to be fair, apparently, I guess, contained one person of color, although that's not something I even want to get into, because I'm not sure how important that is or isn't. Uh, it would be hard to convince a jury like that, uh, who's seen all the facts, if there wasn't something to it. And so there are just a few things here. One thing that I saw... A few things? Yeah. <laughs> One thing that I saw, the first thing that I noticed, was that he crossed state lines. And Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the Yeah, thing. like with a thirteen year old girl too. Right. You know? <laughs> you know? And like, oh mm -hmm. yeah. So the crossing state lines things was was very interesting to me because I called that uh it's I call that a horse paced lie. And what I mean by that is that when ivermectin was being touted as a potential miracle cure or treatment for COVID-19, it was framed pejoratively within the media as a horse dewormer. And the thing about that lie, quote-unquote, is that it's not really a lie. Uh, ivermectin is used as a horse dewormer in a very high dose that people should not take. But, of course, ivermectin is also a Nobel Prize-winning drug that's been administered to billions of people worldwide and has uh, really helped people, uh, particularly in Africa. Um, so the way that CNN and MSNBC and places like this frame the idea of, of the horse paste, right, is meant very specifically to discredit ivermectin as a treatment for COVID-19. I think it's fair to say because it is extremely cheap and it already exists and would therefore undercut the profits of its... Uh, corporate sponsor which is Pfizer big time Pfizer um okay so 
the crossing state lines is a horse-paced lie because uh, it's not false that he crossed state lines. But if you look at Antioch, where he lives on a map, and Kenosha, where he went to, that is a 15-mile drive. So that's the equivalent of me getting in my car and driving up to downtown Oklahoma City, which takes me about 25 minutes if there's traffic, right? Um, it ignores a lot of other things like his grandmother living in Kenosha, his father living in Kenosha, his uncle and aunt and his cousins, the fact that he worked in Kenosha. What they're trying to do, and by them I mean the media and the people who parrot it, they're trying to give you the image of say the El Paso shooter who drove for hours and hours and hours looking for a place uh, to pull over to kill Mexican people, which ended up happening in El Paso uh, when I lived there. And that is a true tragedy, and that is a racist killer who had a very specific thing on his mind. Um, If you kind of just look at it on its face, it's like, or, you know, or this is a guy who drove up to try to keep people from burning down the town that his uh, that his family lived in, which, by the way, they did. And he wasn't without uh, some justification in perhaps being concerned that that's what would happen to this place that his family lived. Um, the other thing that's been very bizarre to me is the martyr status of his two victims, um, which has just been very bizarre. Uh, Mark Ruffalo tweeted, you know... Uh, Never forget uh, Anthony and Jojo. So he gave Joseph Rosenbaum a little nickname, Jojo. Uh, the thing about Joseph Rosenbaum is that he is a five-time convicted pedophile uh, of boys between the ages of 9 and 11. And uh, Huber, in an interesting article that was published, again, I believe in The Guardian, uh, Huber's ex-girlfriend has come out and said that she has a lot of sympathy for Kyle Rittenhouse. Why is that? because Huber would beat her on a regular basis. He's been to, he's convicted for uh, domestic abuse. So, I mean, it gets really weird when you, like this attempt to smear people, but when you're talking about, especially in the case of Rosenbaum, a convicted pedophile, uh, that's not, that's not great, right? At the very least, I think that should cause a resounding indifference to the whole scenario. Um, but these are points, and they're po- one of many. I could go on for more time than we have tonight. But there are many points that I've noticed the media, the news media, and people who consume the news media on a regular basis just seem to absolutely refuse to even acknowledge. They don't refute it. They don't talk about it. You know what I mean? It's these, it's these lies of omission that I think are getting really out of hand. Well, the, the simple truth is that, that Biden's pollings are, are in the tank. Harris is the worst-rated VP of all time. Liberals have nowhere to turn. Their idea that not being Trump was, was good enough is, is just proved disastrous. I mean, on every level, <clears throat> Afghanistan, inflation, the surge of the border, which is tonight actually really reaching a crisis point. I hope people... Uh, really check out what's going on. It's not. It's just not good. And for those of us who live in very intensely uh, Hispanic Latino communities, uh, there's a lot of anxiety because of, of, of people who are surging forward. Uh, that that you know, a lot of people who are here legitimately tried to get away from. You know, um, look at the the tense 
cartel violence in Mexico of late. You know, do you really do you really want open borders? I don't. I think a lot of really good neighbors of mine uh, who speak Spanish natively don't want open borders. They want some protection from those people. And I think anyone decent would would say that we we deserve to protect people who have arrived here with full immigration legitimacy first mm-hmm. before anyone mm-hmm. else, even even asylum seekers under extreme duress. And I'm not saying we shouldn't look at them, but I think that we, we need to look at the crisis that is Mexico, that is Central America, and that is the, the northern part of South America, particularly Venezuela. Yeah, America has participated in that for sure, and we need to, to cop to that. But we're not the only problems there. We're not the only problems. I mean, I just don't accept that at all. We didn't hang nine people from a bridge in a really middle range, one of Mexico's 31st states, you know. We didn't, we didn't do that, you know. Some, some really evil people did that. And, and I'm not sure we want those people in this country. I really don't. <clears throat> but here's another thing. I think that... Um, what we're looking at is a complete abandonment of credibility on the part of the media, mainly. And I think we have to accept, and, and all of my liberal friends just don't accept this, with the exception of Fox News in the major channels, there is no alternative to an extreme extreme left-wing point of view and I just I think that's really sad I think that it's really sad that intellectual people capable smart people just can't accept the fact that Joy Reid is a sociopath yeah you know (laughs) I I, I just think it's very Mm -hmm. obvious I mean I don't really think that's an overreach I'm not saying that Hannity isn't something of, of a problem. No, people I, do I'm, this all I, the time. They do this, they'd say, so what, so you're going to go to Fox News and come on, give me a little bit more credit than that, you know? I'm saying the whole thing yeah. is a debauchery of shamanic language yes. and the seizing of a priest caste capability mm-hmm. where your average person doesn't have anywhere to turn except these talking heads. And I think they're all evil and they're all wrong. And I think they're, they're all wrong in the sense that they have a commercialized rhetorical position to support. And I think it's very obvious. I do think there are some sociopaths. I do think that. I think that there are some extreme versions of people who, no matter what they were doing, even if they were just completely let off the, the, the seven-figure you know, contract, I think they'd be at home doing something weird. Um, and I, I, I don't know how to account for that. Um, I, I'm very sorry about someone of Joy Reid's cape. I, I, I think she's a complete lunatic. Um, and I think Hannity's sort of a lunatic. I don't know if Tucker Carlson is entirely a lunatic. Um, I think he's just a, a media... I think there's a whole spectrum of... You know, it's like the autistic spectrum. Mm-hmm. You know, you, 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 there are some people who can like function mm-hmm. on their own mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, work at the local shop, 
you know, collecting some money, maybe some people who can live alone, and maybe some people like Temple Grandin who can write books and lead things forward. I think that the media is a, is a debauchery of the shamanistic language mm-hmm. program, mm-hmm. and it really is a debauchery of Goethe's final segment of the market square language where it's been stolen from the private people. People like you and me, people like going to 7-Eleven. I go to 7-Eleven. Okay, look, you know, there are some, there was a woman today, she was there in like leggings that just showed everything about how big her butt was. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. On the other hand, what she said to the cashier and how she dealt with people, I mean, it was kind of like grotesque how she was dressed mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit extreme. Not grotesque, a little bit extreme. A little bit extreme. But she was like a legitimate person in the community. She could, she obviously just wants to show off her butt, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And that's something that she needs to do in this moment. Maybe next year she'll be doing something different. Mm-hmm. But she was like, really, you know, my 7-Eleven is like a great clearinghouse of common sense about humanity. No one is fucking up there. No one, you know, the people who draw the guns do that late at night and the cops come very quickly with that because it's a gambling venue as well. But, you know, basically people are pretty sensible, you know. Mm-hmm. They're not doing all this weird stuff. So the media is is letting us all down. It's hyping us up. It's making us anxious and tense and, you know, tribal and, and you know, really just, it's an evil, evil thing. And I, I really support people who tune off to all media, even just for a week. Just, But it is fun just to look at the stories of the strangeness. You just go, really? Yeah, you gotta yeah, be kidding. Yeah, you know, think, it's kind of yeah. hypnotic. You know, oh, it is. it's like, I mean, who doesn't want to see, you know, some enormous person just split their whole body open, and, you know, fossilized fish pour out. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, I want to see that. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. No, I think that you have on one hand, like you said, you have like the harpies, like Joy Reid and Anderson Cooper and Sean Hannity and Bill O'Reilly. And on the other hand, I'm not too sure about Tucker Carlson either. I don't give anybody a pass in this kind of stuff. But I, I do think that that kind of job lends itself to a certain kind of sociopathic personality that isn't interested in getting the full picture. And I just want listeners to make sure that they're listening very carefully to what we're saying and, you know, listen listen very, very close. We're not. I'm not actually uh, necessarily imploring anybody to take a side what i'm saying is that the media oh excuse me the the media in conjunction with social media have turned people into uh just these kind of scheming angry bilious individuals that spit invective at each other all day just to to kind of score points you know and it's narrative versus narrative so what i'm saying is a very simple thing just sit back for a second and ask yourself is any of this just is this weird 
is this is this weird to anybody else i don't even think that it's necessary although i think that it's a step that you can take after you do this this one simple trick uh i don't even think it's necessary <laughs> to have a whole cohesive worldview right out the gate but just start wondering does this make any sense does what this person is saying make sense and that's 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 what i got for today for our extended week in doom you got any thoughts before we move on to our ending segments chris well you know we kind of done the whole week in doom on this and i think that's probably right we didn't touch on wild boars uh invading barcelona Mm -hmm. we didn't touch on the 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 attacks in in walnut creek Mm -hmm. a sedate east bay suburb we didn't touch on the SUV sort of driving through the Christmas crowd. Yeah, and it's today, not even, yeah. it's still not, it, we haven't even had Thanksgiving. I mean, there's just so much craziness and nonsense. And, um, but what I, I do want to like leave one with one point um, before we go into our practical tip. And your uh, delivery of your imaginative challenge, which I know this is kind of the fun stuff. Mm-hmm. I do want to say this. I think that um, I am a lifelong Democrat voter who is really in a spiritual dark night of the soul about that position. And I hope that is respected at least by some of our intellectual listeners. Um, But I I do want to say that I am also a media studies professional with an enormous amount of of really great analytics behind that. And in some of this, which is really exciting to me, is AI driven. So it's completely objective. It's not human based. It's looking at patterns of language, patterns of vocabulary. It's, it's really, I think, a, an, an entirely new frame of reference for how humanity views itself through the mirror of language because we can't escape it. And I really suggest that anyone seriously claiming the mantle of intelligence and education in America who submits that the mainstream media is not entirely biased to a left-wing perspective with the exception of Fox News. I would like to debate that person in a formal setting for a significant amount of money. I really don't think that's a possible position to maintain anymore and I'm not willing to listen to that argument. I don't think it's I don't think it's defensible in any way. I really don't. Mm-hmm. It's just not. And I think this is a really warping and distorting factor of our American perspective and as David and I have said repeatedly and we will again repeat the American perspective is is its own poison. We need to be bigger than this. We need to be looking at the broader perspective. We need to be looking at, in COVID terms, why? Are, what's going on with the Netherlands? The Netherlands, come on. The most 
liberal, <laughs> liberal, liberal, you know? I mean, really, what is happening to our perspective? Well, we're just becoming more Americanized and more CNNized and more MSNBCized because of a woke requirement to listen to certain segments and not listen to the global world. And I want to come out and say, this is a planet. This is a global community. We need to listen to the entire perspective and to really be engaged with this, or we're entirely as intellectual, capable, cultured people. We're entirely missing the point of this crisis moment, which could be a great opportunity. It's a, it's a global time. Absolutely. You want to know the mystery that I want to know the solution to? I do, David. I'm just dying to know. Okay. So, all across the world, there are statues of gods. And in many cases, these gods have animal heads. These uh, gods are often carrying what are called the handbags of the gods. You can, you can look this up. <laughs> So, these handbags are found in uh, Iraq, they're found in Uruguay, they are even found painted onto rocks in the desert in California, these shapes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They are all over, uh, the. in fact, there is a stone, uh, uh, stone circle in Australia built by Aboriginal people that, while it does not contain the symbol it mentions it uh it's it's been it's been sort of written in so there are many theories about what these bags actually are you'll notice uh in uh, there's an assyrian carving of the god dagon who comes out of the water with a a fish head that looks suspiciously by the way like the pope's hat he's carrying one of these bags yeah yeah that's a very yeah and right. most importantly the oldest known structure at gobekli tepe in turkey has these bag symbols etched into um actually it's a bas relief on one of their t pillars has three of these bag shapes right now i've seen a video on youtube that got a lot of play where a scientist archaeologist debunked all of the myths around the handbags and he said i have a solution to what these handbags are they are buckets for carrying water <laughs> and to him i say fuck you those are not buckets for carrying water why on earth would people go through the trouble when they're carving vultures and scorpions and gods with fish heads and bird heads. Have you seen some of these amazing uh, yeah. Meso no, Meso I'm, Mesoamerican I'm, carvings where they're carrying? Yeah, no, no, like, no. Wrap on, man. I, I think why you're Why right. on earth would they go to all that trouble to show <laughs> a creature carrying water? Get out of here. Get out of here. So <laughs> I, have, I have a few thoughts. I have a few thoughts. And this goes back, so broadly speaking, 
the mysteries that I would like to know of include things like Atlantis and basically ancient civilizations. I have a sneaking suspicion that we've done all this before and that we'll do it again. Uh, when it comes to the handbags, you know, I was looking at the at the bas-relief T-pillar from Gobekli Tepe, and I thought to myself, well, I wonder if, because they're, they're, you know, the myth of the Great Flood is not just a Christian myth either. The myth of the Great Flood goes, it's, it's pan-cultural, right? It's across cultures. I was like, maybe those are boats? Maybe those are arcs, like Noah's Ark or something to that effect? Um, I think <laughs> a, a, an explanation could possibly be um, that they are some kind of device that we don't fully understand. The, the handbags... Fancy that. The Fancy handbags, that. By huh? the way, the handbags, by the way, have been in, uh, also uh, sort of reinterpreted in Egyptian hieroglyphics as the Ankh. So if you've ever seen Anubis carrying an Ankh, yeah, that's a derivative right. of, the, of the handbag. So that's my mystery, and that is my proposed theory for what it is, although I do think that it has something to do with the technology. But that's the one that I would really want to know about. Okay, so we can summarize this as, as that David's focus is on uh, ancient civilizations, human geography, the mysteries of the past. Correct. And I think that's very interesting. I think that's very interesting. I, I recommend to all of our listeners to ask yourself what great realizable secret that you might want to know uh, because it's a, it's it's a revelation of personal values. All, you know, all we are is 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 a presentation in a mirror, in an obsidian mirror. You know, this is what the great Mesoamerican traditions. This is what the Tibetan Book of the Dead says. You know, all we are is a representation in a, in an obsidian mirror. And so, think about your own values. About well, what it is? What secret would you really want to know? You know, and don't make it something as simple like, is there a God or is there into the universe or, you know, try to make it a little bit more specific. I think David did a really good job. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to jump into our practical tip now, if that on that Let's basis, because I, I think that David is continuing to respond to the imaginative challenges. And um, these are forming part of uh, my ongoing research to. Uh, to another book, which I, I think is really exciting, that uh, that I've almost got a contract for. So, um, in general terms, uh, but always think about you know. Well, be curious, you know. Anyway, here's the here's the tip sort of framework for this week. Okay, I, first of all, I want you to remember some of the ones put forward so far. It's okay to summarize things, you know. I think that a lot of us always worry about repeating. Well. You know, sometimes you need to repeat some stuff because it's really cool. Uh, I put forward some ideas about listening to your own speech backward. We've got a, a really cool app that we recommended that's easy. And it does give you some new insight into not just language, but your own speech. You know, maybe learning about your own speech is something important. I don't know. I, I think it's important to me. Maybe it's not important to you. Maybe you don't care how people hear you, you know? I, I do. Mm -hmm. Anyway, 
being a private de detective when it comes to words. You know, this is something that, you know, even the greatest, most successful writers in the world can still learn. You know, there's never any end to learning. You know, that's what... I, I really admire the, the great guitarist Jerry Garcia, the Grateful Dead, who died way too young. You know, he just thought of himself as, as a student of the guitar. And what a humble, good place to begin. You know, why can't we all have that idea just forever? We're always learning. You know, Mozart thought that. And if Mozart could think that about his two key instruments, the keyboard and the violin, well, fuck off. You can too, you know. Mm -hmm. You're just beginning. Just beginning. Always beginning. It's a Zen attitude. It's a great attitude. It's a refreshing attitude. I don't know. It's just cool. Constantly reassess dichotomies. Well, what about this? Think about credit versus blame and credit versus debt. You see? Mm -hmm. I think I am worth the, the money that Rutledge Press is going to pay me. Aphorisms as discipline. Well, here are two new ones of mine. I, I said, look, you know, maybe think about creating one every day. Well, I'll hear, hear a few. What price can you put on knowing that your paranoia is justified? I like that. Here's another one. Walls can indeed close in. They seldom expand without cracking or falling down. Think about creating an aphorism every day. It won't hurt you. No one else has to hear about them. You can risk cliché. That's the, that's the risk. That's the point. Risk cliche. Risk showing your butt, you know? But get something out there that is an assertive statement of truth that you believe in. Anyway, here's the, here's the real thing for this time. Reconsidering etiquette and social protocols. A good, great deal of global human mind space is devoted to cultural congruence. I think we'd all agree with that. Fitting in, playing along, being nice to share with, not having fingers pointed at you, not having Twitter people turn on you. Mm -hmm. All things related to food, food, are excellent learning arenas. Consider the idea of eating implements. Cutlery, chopsticks. Yet in many cultures, these aids are viewed as barbaric and bizarre. Tor Heyerdahl, I think some people would know, a great explorer who put forward a range of theories which may or may not be true, but a really cool guy and a great writer, uh, found when he lived in the Marquesas with a really lovely wife. I think that's a real achievement. Uh, he found that it seemed an odd idea to the locals to put metal or wood in your mouth. Mm -hmm. Fatu Hivu, uh, I've just been reading, it's his first book. Uh, that's one of the major islands, the Marquesas. It's one of his, his first major books before the Contiki expedition, the Ra expedition, and, and many of his other works. It's, it's really a great, uh, it's a great love affair. Uh, story and David, I think you and Rios would really—it's it, it, a great 
story about a marriage. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's really cool. But many of the divergent culture groups across the Indonesian archipelago consider eating with your hands both normal and polite. I've been personally in many parts of North Africa where rather than a source of hygiene concern, think about this, eating with one's hand is viewed as a powerful and social expression performance. I love that word, performance. I really do. Performance of cleanliness. See, I'm clean. I'm eating with my hands. Yeah. In any case, it's certainly possible for all people listening to this podcast, especially after our fucking endless COVID hand sanitizing frenzies to achieve clean hands. Try eating only with your hands for three days. That's my practical tip for this week. Mm. We do this a lot anyway. We put our hands near our face and our fingers and our mouths all the time. We have babies that come out of our bodies and they do all sorts of nasty things. We're just nasty people. But nastiness can be cleaned. Formally try to abandon all cutlery for three days. Just three days. Come on. I'm always trying to be practical. I'm not saying you have to do this forever. But see what changes this small adjustment to your routine can lead to. Three days. Eat purely with your hands. That's my tip for this week. Love it. It's going to be hard with soup, but I love it. Well, just, no, you just tip the bowl into your mouth. You know, you you know, you know, you don't need a spoon. You don't need a, no, you don't need a spoon. I mean, how do you drink milk or water? You know, you don't have like, you're not, you know, you're not spooning water into your mouth. You're drinking it. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yep. You're right. Just see how it changed. Just... Just a little, you know, little changes, little, it's all about small things. It's a step ladder in your office that you step up on and look around from a different height. It's just little things that we do to change our perspective because big things are very hard to access because we don't know them. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll never know them, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. but little things we can access. No more forks or spoons for three days. I mean, come on. That's not hard. Let's do it. I'm into it. All right. You ready? I'll report back. Okay. Are you ready for the dream? This is an interesting dream this time. Well, it's always interesting, I think. This is interesting for our audience, actually. Yeah. Hit me with it. All right. Well, it's a writing dream. um, And I think that we have some writers who, who listen in. It's also a magical writing machine dream, which is an interesting history. You know, uh, goes to Swift, goes to uh, some interesting authors. But in the dream, I was given a very cool freelance assignment. And David, you're looking for freelance assignments. I am, I think some of our listeners are. So you could imagine that in the dream, I jumped at the opportunity of creating 
an imaginary encyclopedia or an encyclopedia of imaginary celebrities. A variation on Borges' work on imaginary creatures, you know? Mm -hmm. I thought this was like, okay, I could do this. Well, okay. I accepted, and I was given a writing device to work with. It was an enormous Woody Woodpecker red typewriter with big, bright, yellow, rounded edge square keys. But instead of the familiar 26 letters emerging from the Latin script, which many of us forget and take totally for granted, the keys featured peculiar hieroglyphs and symbols I'd never seen. One looked like a strangely inverted parrot. One was like two fours, the number four, melded together. One was a blue triangle inside a white square inside a coral pink oval. At first I was stumped at how to use the machine. And then intuition spoke to me and I began experimenting as if on a musical synthesizer. Actual sounds, notes, and chords resulted and three-dimensional entries for phantom stars and notorious people began to mosaic in front of me. The more fully I engaged with the typing machine as a musical instrument, the easier composition became, and soon a whole melange of cartoonish and also hyper-real figures of alleged fame were swirling all around me like an interactive hologram dust devil. So many faces and biographies, but I remember a couple of them. One was a multiracial rapper named Butterfinger who'd inspired riots in Osaka and Veracruz for eating live baby chicks and branding llamas on stage. He died attempting to base jump off the top of the F&F Tower in Panama City. I encourage people to look at that building. It's quite remarkable. Another was a woman named Babette Cougar from Salina, Kansas, who'd managed to secure an original patent for coconut cream pie. It's a dream, okay? It's a dream. I lost track of time playing the machine. But when 1,701... 1,701 hypothetical celebrities had been created. The machine stopped working, and all the symbols on the keys turned to line drawings of ants. So there. <laughs> Fantastic. Wonderful. Maybe the best dream yet. I love it. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening to No Country, and we'll be back next week.